What follows is what could be salvaged from the technically perceived episode 30, live tetrapodcasts in the pub. I'll start again, right? Yep, start again. Okay, so we're going to start with F.U. Uh F.U., Darren. Do you know what F.U. stands for? Well, the rude one or the real one? The Tetsu podcast one. Follow-up. Then you listen to Tetsu podcast. (laughs) Follow-up. So, thank you, Mickey Mortimer, for telling us that the evil villain who kills Superman is called Doomsday, not Armageddon. There we go. Right. Now, in the discussion we had about deer antlers, we had some some things saying about why is it that deer shed antlers and regrow them why don't they just why don't they just keep annuals antlers annually uh and um so adam fuller and yeah that's a drink uh uh, uh um that's a pseudonym it's not if that is a real name um <laughs> Hedromeles and Adam Fuller both say that maybe maybe the problem with deer is that maybe the problem with antlers is that if they get broken or dulled, then they can't be repaired because obviously there isn't a, like a, a soft tissue like keratin growing over them. So maybe in order to keep them in good condition, the only solution is to regrow them next season. That's, and there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, God, deer antlers, such a confusing, complicated subject. That'll do. Yeah. That's pretty much. I'll all buy that. That's, that's a reasonable. Yeah. But but and and that would be one of those things. That's one of those evolutionary cul-de-sac things, where they've only got, they've they're, they're having they've having they've had to go down that route of shedding antlers and regrowing them only because they started out using a system where they're growing naked bones out of their heads rather than keratin-covered things. So it still doesn't answer the question as to why they grew naked bones out of their heads in the first place. Yeah, it seems like a pretty crazy thing to do. It does. Deer. The deer are really nuts. Yeah. I mean, come to think of it, these skulls, the deer skulls, antlers, they are some of the weirdest structures imaginable. Yeah. I mean, let alone extant. Well, yeah. Well, like we said, like we said last time in the previous podcast, you think deer are familiar animals to us, but think about it. They grow naked bone out of their heads, uh-huh. and then they just drop it. And then, and then they're desperate. They need to get all that calcium back, so they do crazy things to get it. They like, eat, eat antlers and eat little animals and stuff. But um, <laughs> the whole idea of animals growing bones out of their head and then just discarding them at the end of the season. Is... Which makes me think, I mean, why is there such a fixation for headgear in the animal kingdom? Yeah, generally? what is it with those animals and their crazy love of headgear? Um, good question. And, like, for example, I, I think of chickens... They could be argued to have really ugly, hideous moles growing out of their faces, you know? And, and you know, deer have antlers, chicken have coombs. We know that I think a number of dinosaurs also had soft tissue wattles and snoods and what? Edmontosaurus I'm thinking about. Did you know that chickens originally did have horns? Horns? Yeah, they had horns. Oh. And one day a dragon visited... <laughs> Uh, yeah. And said to the chicken, "If you, I'm on my way to visit the emperor, and if you lend me your horns, I shall forever be in your debt. And the, the chicken thought, oh, fair enough. So he lent his horns to the dragon, and um, the dragon said, thanks very much, and flew away with the, with the horns. A splendid, multi-branched, colourful horns. Yeah, magical. Uh, which, which, which indigenous culture has Chinese. this? Chinese. 
uh-huh. and the dragon never came back. And in the that morning, bastard. and so in the morning, the uh, the chicken, like you know, he waited for the dragon. The dragon tin didn't turn up, and he started shouting, "Bring back my horns!" <laughs> Is this also in Chinese myth? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. it works in Chinese. Apparently. It's interesting how chickens are much more. Well, they're portrayed really differently in Chinese culture because you know, out here they're almost like a commodity. Like they're grown in farms, stupid, dumb, funny, clumsy. But in China, they are symbols of dignity, yeah. especially a rooster, yeah. power, virility, so on and so forth. Well, chickens are, unfortunately, our familiarity with chickens comes with a, an amount of contempt. People just think it's a stupid, stupid chicken. They think, they think it's like a worthless animal that's only exists to be eaten, and it's also like, it's dumb, doesn't do anything, and it's like, no, chickens are really smart. Well, I, not compared to us, they aren't. In the bird's world, chickens are like middle-range birds. They're not stupid birds. They're not like as smart as crows or whatever, but they're really clever. They can be, they can be taught like they have a sort of pseudo language, and they uh-huh. can be they can be taught things in minutes, not days, in minutes. You can train them to, you know, and they that mothers have like a definite concept of right and wrong. They teach their chicks uh-huh. things to do and not to do. So if it, if you've raised a chicken and only fed it yellow corn, mm-hmm. and you give it and and you give its babies red corn, it'll freak out because it goes, no, babies shouldn't eat red corn. They should only eat yellow corn, and, and they sort of. They're also one of the most heavily domesticated of all animals. I mean, there was this variety you would know. I read somewhere that, you know, this very long dragon-like tail. The Japanese ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I read a claim of 50 meters long or something. No, it's not not that big. I think the record is like 11 meters. Something something like that, but it's still pretty amazing. I mean, one of their tail quills has got to be one of the strangest structures ever to erupt out of the skin of an animal with four Yeah, legs. well, certainly one of the biggest. Probably the biggest. Mm, maybe. We've, w- the story of chickens is basically, it's more to do with anthropology than like bird evolution. Chickens about three times on the podcast before. Yeah. New sexy chicken papers. Hold on, is that on the list? Chickens are not on the list. Chicken. Although I bet Teddy Roosevelt shot one once. Did Teddy Roosevelt ever shoot a chicken? I bet he did. Well, I'm taking it. Was Teddy Roosevelt? By the way, there's this whole thing about shooting animals. That's, I mean, obviously in the first days of zoology, it was like a man and his rifle, and the zoology was almost like a side side job, you know, <laughs> taking tally of what you shot and killed. But for example, I I read in a like serious herpetology book about one herpetologist I don't remember his name but it's a big encyclopedia type book and one herpetologist that's a lizard and snake scientist and frog scientist for you guys and he recounts an experience where how he was in the Amazon in a field trip and how he observed the magical courtship of a, a, a giant tegu and a female and then he goes to say, he goes on to say almost with joy about how he shot both specimens with his air rifle and added them to his connection for data. I recently... You know this one? No, but I know of similar stories. I recently saw captive Laysan duck, uh-huh. which is a really endangered small teal from a Pacific island. And um, 
I forget the numbers. It's like, but now there's like about you know a hundred of them. But at times they've been down to like less than ten. And there's even a story that at one point there was like they were down to one, one pregnant bottom. female. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but there's when when there was like a handful of them, there's a I don't want to mention his name because I've said quite mean things about this story. But there's a, an ornithologist goes to the island to search for them, and he says he finds, I think, twenty and kills six of them. He says, I found 20, and I killed six of them. I was like, I was like I, I'm really pleased that I procured a load of them for the museum. It's like, you honest, but, and he honestly thought, it wasn't that he thought there were loads more on the island hiding out. He thought that there's 20 left. I need to collect as many as I can. Ugh. And it's like, I have real problems with that idea. I mean, what the what the C-U-N-T. Man versus nature. We win. <laughs> Is it because of this, because... There's all, I, I can. There's many more stories like this, and yeah. this sort of clinical coldness at which yeah. they yeah. collect specimens. They even change the names and the words they use, so maybe they don't. I want collected. To I collected a specimen. Collect. So, on the one hand, if they didn't do it, we wouldn't have the specimens. Okay, ever. but then there's like these weird field research or something. And for example, in Turkey, there was a herpetological thesis about diets of the common rock agama, uh, Ladakia stelio, and one, one Turkish suanti goes and needlessly kills like 40 of these animals so he can look at their stomachs. And it's, a, it's an ethical question whether you need that data that desperately. Yeah. I mean, okay, there's a lot of these lizards running around, but still it's a pretty harsh and stupid things to just I agree. and yeah, shoot I, 40 animals. Yeah, I'm not happy with the idea that you should do research like that. It's like, it's, well, there's, I mean, there are, there are all kinds of ethical guidelines in place now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this kind you of thing is... You can rest assured that they're not being heated in Turkey. I, I uh, mean, maybe some are. I don't know. By the way, looking at the list here, yeah. the Nicklin Kesey lists. Yeah. I get this Richard Nicklin's list, I guess. Oh, Kesey. Kesey's... Oh. Uh, but it's, that's take that keysy, and I haven't said take that keysy yet. I've got to specifically say take that keysy. Did you say take that keysy? Right, one shot. <laughs> um, number eighteen. It says John gets a delivery. Now, is that kind of some? Is that some kind of like double entendre or something? No, you remember? I think it was episode like fifteen or something. <laughs> I got a delivery in the middle John, of the podcast. John gets a delivery. What's this? It's a t- <laughs> Are you happy to see me, John, or is it just a delivery? <laughs> oh, no. I've had a delivery. <laughs> Package. <laughs> is that a podcast in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> so you guys have just got back from our Long Gone 3. Um, Darren, you gave a talk. Why don't, why don't you tell, me, tell us a bit about that? Was my talk was about the history of speculative zoology. Um, it's a rundown of ideas over time about uh, future animals and animals of alternative evolutionary timelines. And basically, the, th- the the main gist of it was, what's the point of all this? And the sort of my conclusion was, well, it doesn't really have one, but it doesn't hurt anyone, so let's carry on with it. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was very much a. This is like a thing that people have always done. And I showed, you know, pictures of a cave paintings and stuff where people have invented animals and, and then things like medieval dragons and that kind of stuff. Like, the, the, in, the creation of creatures is very much a sort of fundamental, like, human psychological thing. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like, uh, it's a part of a human condition. 
It's like a. You, uh, it also has an educational component because people are teaching other people about evolution and stuff, and and also it's a business because if you if you make you know movies about imaginary animals, you can if you do it right you can make a crap load of money. But um, the myth. Yes, I suppose. I sp- yes, I suppose. You but ignored the most obvious bit to get to the. Huh? That it's about myth. It's mythology, isn't it? A lot of it. Yeah, but a special but, kind of. Mythology. Yeah, but but the, 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 but I would say that the stories, the myths, because bear in mind, a lot of myths don't involve animals at all, or don't involve non-human animals. The myth is kind of like a separate thing from the invention of the animal, and I'm only talking about the invention of the animal. So, and I and I did make the point that a lot of mythical animals, a lot of imaginary animals, are allegories or symbols. Well, that's also that's also part of it. So that's what I spoke about. I mean, uh, I kind of continued along that theme, but uh, I gave a very brief uh, intro because uh, there would be a discussion afterwards on, like, basically the more human aspect, the universal aspect of speculative zoology and how it can actually be a form of art. Um, I mean, my point was that the creating worlds and life of one's own, as Darren said, is very old and is a common trait of many cultures. But it's also a very human <laughs> thing that, I mean, deep down inside, we all want to uh, create our own worlds and want to populate it with creatures of our own making. This can be as simple as like having a neat house with your kid in it, but it can also be very complex if you have unlimited uh, power, as you would in the realm of imagination, you could have anything you want. And that, I think, in an instinctive way, extends to the desire to make out nature in your own image. And there's even a whole biblical reference in the works there. So I basically spoke how it was a very intuitive human thing to do this. We have a desire to see new life, and if we can't see that, make it and explore it and also in a wholly dis- different aspect I believe uh, a lot of speculative zoology also entails social satire or social critique of the times and I gave the example of well you know with H.G. Wells the author of Time Machine he dreamt up a w- world in which two ri- rival races the childlike Eloy and the uh, uh, ruffian morlocks they coexisted in a dystopian future well if you look at that and you cannot see the satire of the industrial revolution of of class conflict you are blind and a lot of a uh, lot of speculative zoology or speculative creatures also reflect their cultural milileo uh, let's say so i basically dwelled on these two subjects and I made the bold and brazen claim that speculative zoology needs to stand on its own two or however many how many feet <laughs> as a, a, a distinct aspect of human expression of its own, distinct from painting but related to it, distinct from writing but related to it. I think there is much to be made along those lines. Maybe in the future, Darren's presentation could be turned into a book, the history and art of. Uh, speculative zoology there could be magazines websites forums and there's actually 
there is a forum, the speculative zoology forums at Zetaboard. Uh, just Google this Zetaboard. And they were really big supporters of all speculative zoology and particularly of our works. So a big hello to the Zetaboard crowd from our They're, they're big Tetsu podcast listeners. Yeah, yeah. Hello, the, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that in a nutshell. Yeah, cool. Should we do... Should we... Should you guys make some money by answering a cash for question, maybe? There's a cash for question? There's, there's cash for questions, yeah. Oh my god. I've got one. I'm going to buy you a drink if you answer me this question. What is the most boring tetrapod? You just asked him to divide by zero. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> I wanted to see the meltdown. Well, <laughs> I can only think Darren's of head is just moving back and forth, and his mouth is moving without <laughs> making any sound. I can think of individual. I, I can think of humans, <laughs> certain many, certain people, but in terms of actual in species of, of non-human animals, yeah, you have to answer though because one of them's got to be bottom. So let's try to narrow this down to group. Certainly not any birds. Certainly not any birds. I don't know yeah, about yeah, that. I would might. say hmm. that it would have to be a a familiar mammal, but I don't think any of those are really boring. Sheep, not boring. Well, sheep. What's boring about sheep? <laughs> okay, so you're right. <laughs> but, but maybe because, like, is it like a general human opinion or is it my opinion? Your opinion. But I don't have any boring tetrapods. Well, because I like I like all tetrapods. Very common deer in the states that you know everybody hunts. They sound pretty boring. Meerkats. Meerkats. King meerkats. Really boring. And ring-tailed lemurs. So there's not very much interesting about meerkats and. Well, no, there lemurs. is, but it's like. But less than the other animals. Yeah, it's like there's like there's a lot of probably every other animal you could say something and like me and most other people would never have heard it before. But it's meerkats. No, I've heard everything before. You can't tell me anything about meerkats that I haven't heard before. I've heard it all before. So that's more that you know everything about them, not no, that their yeah, because their actual habits are boring. We're overexposed to meerkats. Yeah. I'm not like, sure I'm satisfied with that There's answer. like 27 different meerkat documentaries I'm paying year. you for this, Darren. I want, I want your objective view of what the most boring one is. Least uh, remarkable. If you want an objective view, you have to quantify boringness. Well, it'll have to be a, a mouse then. Mm, mouse thing, yeah. Because um, there's... Huge, like there's thousands of them. Yeah, they're they all boring. Look, they all look much alike. Yep. So, the, 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 the there's several members of the house mouse complex. One of them. I don't know which one though. The western house mouse. The western house mouse. Yeah. Or the eastern house mouse. What's the most interesting thing about one of these house mice? Well, there's loads of interesting things about them. I mean, do they have anything that you could say about one of? The, I guess do they di are they very different? Do they have any? There's not much variation there, is there? They're all pretty samey. So if you say one for one thing, then it's probably true of like dozens yes. and dozens of them, right? And, e and even like any people that know anything about mice, the whole mus musculus mus domesticus complex thing, um, and even when and even when there was a new one named in 2006, a Cypriot mouse. And then people are like, wow, the first new mammal from Europe in like 30 years, which wasn't true. Or no, 100 years, which wasn't true. It's just another little mouse, little grey mouse. It happened to live on Cyprus. But, um, so there you go. Mice, the most boring tetrapods. Well, 
Members of the house mouse complex. <laughs> members of the house mouse complex. Excellent. Good. Good to hear. I find them very boring. <laughs> Even more boring than most mammals. You find mice boring. Yeah. Um, right, so, should we move on for cash questions? Oh, is that, is that a drink? That's not a drink, is it? I don't think so. There's no cash for questions down here? No. Permian bears. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I've got to finish the drink. Go. Okay. Oh, no. I've got to finish the drink because they're Permian bears. That's not actually on the list. Just right. brief aside, yeah. I saw a new movie the other day, Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah. You just it's really me, good. You're, yeah, you're, just, you're doing this because you're out of drink. Ah. And I have to drink. Yeah, everyone says it's really good. Darren raises a TV show slash film that John hasn't or seen. Or is that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that everyone says is good? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a TV series. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Not a movie. Guardians of the Galaxy is a real tongue-in-cheek I quite like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I like... Also, I thought is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like a superhero thing? Yeah, well... Yeah, you can see how much care, it doesn't have care any, about superhero type things. It doesn't have any superheroes in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Actually, it's, well, it's got a supervillain in it. Is Guardians of the Galaxy good? I thought it was. <laughs> is that the one with Captain America in it? No. Oh. That's Captain America.